When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to this week's excerpt from the Dear Prudence podcast. To get the full-length members-only version every week, join Slate Plus at slate.com slash prudipod. Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello, and welcome back to The Dear Prudence Show once again. And as always, I am your host, uh, Daniel Mallory Ortberg. I forgot my own name for a second. Uh, with me in the studio this week is Talia Jane, an NYC-based aspiring community writer. Community writer? No, oh, <laughs> comedy writer, who makes smoothies for a living and who wants you to join a union. She hopes to write for TV, but until then, she's on Twitter at, at it's a underscore Talia. I have never read anyone's Twitter handle out loud, and I think I did a bad job. Hi, <laughs> Talia, welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me. You have a beautiful home. Thank you so much. Um, you have such a fancy sounding bio because I always think that anytime someone refers to themselves as based in a particular city, they just sound like um, an exciting, extravagant world traveler. Like you don't yeah. just live in New York City. You're based there. Yeah. At any moment you might be in Martinique. We don't exactly. Know. Exactly. I mean, that's the kind of life that I, I aspire to uh, show other people that I'm living. It's not true. I mm-hmm. like I make smoothies for a living, so I'm not just based there. I'm like I'm stuck. <laughs> Look, man, I just ate peanut butter out of a jar in between recording back to back episodes. I am right there with you. Oh, okay. Well, it's uh, been a while you're since literally I. Stuck. Yeah, it's been it's been a while since I had a peanut butter meal, um, and it feels good to bring it back because it does feel very much part of my Dear Prudence brand. <laughs> That's a meal. Well, I mean, I'll eat more later, but sometimes if we're recording multiple episodes, I'm always bad at planning um, when it comes to like logistical stuff. I'm always later than I think. So whenever I'm getting ready to leave, I'm like, oh, I won't be able to eat lunch. Uh, What's food? Jar. Spoon. Done. (laughs) You take it with you? I just... Yes, I do. And it's Amazing. it's dumb because, like, I work from home. I have plenty of time in advance. I could absolutely be one of those meal prep people who's, like, got my little Tupperwares full of my little ingredients. But right. I forget. And then I'm like, mm, jar. But like I also, a jar for lunch. No, Like, everyone wants to be that person, but no one wants to be that person, you know? Some people do. <laughs> some people do. I, I, I know some of them. We're not especially close, but they seem remarkable. I would love to have my life that organized, but I would also hate the person I would be. If I if I was able to maintain a life like that, I honestly can't even imagine myself <laughs> doing that like that. I, I could not picture my life um, if I regularly did that. Like it would be as if I were replaced by an entirely different human being. I feel like I would have a lot of moments of like just screaming into a pillow if that was my life. You but know, you would have beautifully fluffed pillows that you laundered <laughs> regularly. Yes. As opposed to like the flat like palettes that I currently sleep on. Congratulations. All right. So with that note, now that everyone's just picturing our sleeping and eating arrangements yes, um, and they can judge us accordingly, let's go ahead and give advice to a bunch of strangers. Sound good? All right. Sounds great. Awesome. I will get us started with the first letter, the subject line of which is unfriending on social media due to politics, which is a letter I get very, very often and I only publish very occasionally because otherwise I would be publishing one every day. Um, Here we go. Dear Prudence, am I a bad person? I've been, quote, friends with someone on social media for a few years now, but their extreme right-wing views always get to me. I never comment. I just ignore them. But this person's crowing today about the Supreme Court's latest anti-gay ruling made me fire off a passionate comment and unfriend them. I feel bad about it now, though, because we had other things in common, and she's always been supportive of me and things that I do. However, I just don't know if I want to associate with someone who is so in-your-face about supporting discrimination. Christianity isn't about hate and exclusion. Am I a bad person? How can I feel better about my decision? This person might have set a record for asking if they were a bad person, because normally, 
it's just every other letter where someone asks me, am I a bad person? And by the way, it's never the bad people who ask. Um, it's usually somebody who has done something that they maybe feel complicated about, but the mm-hmm. ones who write in and are clearly causing the most damage never end it with, am I a bad person? The question does not seem to occur to them. Yeah, I think that's a good sign that that um, this person, that they are a good person. I think, like, when I read this, I just, what really got to me wasn't that they're asking if they're a bad person or the situation itself. It's the part where they said, um, like, they fired off a passionate comment and unfriended the person. Um, Mm -hmm. And then they're like, you know, am I bad for doing that? And I think, no, I don't think you're bad. I think you were, like, just starting something and you cut it off, you know, because you say that – that they have things where the person's always been supportive and they have a lot in common, and yet you just cut them out um, because of this one thing, even though they the other person had a, a history of having sort of far right wing proclivities. And I think the an issue that is very prevalent today, especially, um, is that we are so hasty to make a statement but not have a conversation. And I'm not saying that we should be doing other people's emotional work or that we should be teaching every single person that we encounter um, why certain things that they believe aren't acceptable or good. Um, But I do think that if you are existing in a circle, even on social media with someone, and they're saying something bad, You know, 15 people might see that thing. And although those 15 people might not exactly agree, they're still going to see it. It's like if someone said, oh, the sky is green. 15 people see that and they're like, hmm, maybe the sky is green. And if you say, no, it's not green, then those same people are going to see your comment and say, hmm, I wonder why they're saying it's not green. You know, maybe there's more to this than just what was presented to me. And If you cut people out of your life just because uh, you disagree with them, you are helping to establish those boundaries that um, we're currently trying to fight against. And sometimes it's not healthy to keep people in your life who are hateful and celebrate bigoted things. But sometimes on social media, the stakes are so low, it's okay to just kind of take a second and be like, hey, buddy. I like you. Here are things we have in common, you know, and I feel like we should have a discussion about this. So, no, I don't think you're a bad person. I just think, um, you know, you don't need to worry about feeling better. You should worry about being better um, and helping to contribute to a world where we can talk about our differences and learn from each other. So from that perspective, uh, would your advice be, do you think that you would encourage the letter writer to get back in touch with that person and try to have another conversation? Or do you feel like that's fruitless at this point? Like, what would would you say would be a useful next step? I mean, it might be useful to just send them a message to be like, hey, I just want to let you know that I unfriended you for this reason and for all these other reasons. I hold no ill will towards you, but I still – it crossed a line – And maybe I overreacted or maybe I just like let my frustration get the better of me or maybe I just got tired of seeing this over and over again on your timeline. But like it needs to stop, you know, and and then then maybe you can have a conversation at that point. Um, But definitely don't go through the process of like adding them back and like following them on Instagram and liking all their recent selfies and trying to be buddy buddy. It just, right. You know, I, I had someone who posted crazy misogynistic things, like awful things. And I unfriended them and I sent them a message when I did it. And I was like, this is why I unfriended you. Don't add me back, but you need to know this is why I did this. Hmm. And like, You know, I just laid it all out there because I didn't want that person in my life. I recognized that they were toxic and I didn't want to spend a bunch of time like teaching them how to walk, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. But sometimes just saying, hey, this sucks 
It's helpful. I think part of the reason that I was interested in this version of this letter as opposed to one of the many, many others that I get is there is that sort of question of um, how do you have this conversation with somebody you don't know very well? Because it's one thing if somebody says, you know, I have a relative or a close friend Mm -hmm. whose behavior on social media is really unhinged and really distressing and they, you know, espouse ideas that I find repugnant and dehumanizing. Um, When there's that pre-existing offline relationship, um, then there's the opportunity to – say, I want to talk to you about this. This troubles me. This concerns me. I oppose this dearly or deeply or whatever's the word I'm looking for. Um, And with somebody that you put the word friends in quotes with, there's that sort of question of, well, you know, what are we to each other? Do we have a relationship outside of social media? Um, You know, would it in any way match up with our friendship to try to like reach out and get lunch? Or have we never gotten lunch? So it would be weird if the only time we ever got lunch was to have like a summit about their homophobia. Yeah. So, you you know, you do have kind of, uh, there is a trickier etiquette in terms of, you know, I don't know what you, um, I don't know what things you have in common. It it doesn't sound like they're like deep, deep things. Um, And you say she's always been supportive of you and the things you do. And I don't know if that means that she's shown up for you in your life and helped you move, or if that just means that like generally she doesn't wish you ill, Um, you know, and the letter writer would know more about that. So, you know, if this is a relationship that only ever existed on social media, uh, I think it does make sense to have only had that interaction on social media. Um, I think it makes a lot of sense um, if somebody is proudly crowing about an anti-gay ruling um, for a person to say, you know, I cannot have like an active, proud, happy homophobe um, in my life and I want to tell you why and I want you to know that that's why. Um So that's, I think, a pretty appropriate line to draw. Um, I think one of the reasons that you don't feel good about this is because this was sad and painful and disappointing. Um, That's that's reasonable. The fact that you don't feel great right now makes sense and is not necessarily a sign um, that you have failed to, like, you know, calmly and carefully talk this person out of their homophobia. Um, I think you just feel bad because it's bad and sad and upsetting to be reminded of, here's this person that kind of on the surface I have some stuff in in common with um, and who's supportive of me as an individual, um, but loves it when, you know, the Supreme Court rules against like gay rights. That's painful. And that reminds me that sometimes ways in which I feel like another person I might have a lot in common, we actually don't share the same values. Um, We don't support the same groups of people who are marginalized um, and whose rights are under attack. And that makes me feel sad and isolated and less hopeful about the state of the world. So those feelings all make a lot of sense. Um, You don't say that you wrote a deeply personal, furious comment of just like, you know, and here's five things I don't like about your face and like that you would really regret. Um, So I think the fact that you responded passionately and then decided that you could not, um, didn't feel like the way that she initiated that conversation was like, hey, I want to have a good faith conversation and learn more. Um, That that, to me, that seems reasonable. I understand where you're coming from. I think you made a reasonable decision. And um, uh, if you wanted to, you know, follow up and say, hey, this is why I unfriended you. I really hope that you will reconsider these things. Um, and I wish you all the best in doing so. You know, that's an option that's available to you, but you don't have to. This isn't your sister. This isn't your best friend. This isn't somebody you've spent a lot of time with. Um, it's a fairly low-level relationship. So it may just be that that's over. Yep. <laughs> all right. I agree. Next letter's all yours. All right. Um, dear Prudence. What is your advice for being a good partner to someone who seems to be expressing dissatisfaction with their body and gender, but who hasn't explicitly told you they're questioning or considering transition? My partner occasionally says things about how they begin to feel, quote, gross about themselves at puberty, uh, sometimes wonder what it would be like to have different anatomy and have anxiety about some sex acts that most people consider pretty standard. I'm happy accommodating their preferences, but beyond that, I still worry that these feelings are a sign of something deeper, and putting off exploring them, they're also pretty shy and don't like drawing attention to themselves in uncomfortable situations, will wear down their mental health over time. I want to come across as someone who is safe and willing to listen, but I can't fully relate because even though I have some physical insecurities, I've never felt these specific feelings around sex and gender. But it still sucks to see them anxious about things, and I want to help and comfort them. What can I do in this situation? 
All right. Well, um, for some reason, the first thing that I thought of when I was reading this <laughs> was that scene in Twilight when um, Bella, when when Bella and Edward were uh, like in the forest or whatever, and he was like, "She's like, I know what you are," and he goes, "Say it," and she goes, "A vampire," and it's like this big thing, and it kind of it kind of reminded me of that um, because. A person who might be questioning or is feeling insecure, like they're they might need to get to that point of like being told like, hey, it seems like maybe you might be questioning your gender. It could be body dysphoria, but it could be gender um, dysphoria as well. And I think, you know, just saying it like, is this a possibility at least lets them like you, you're opening that door to have a conversation where they can kind of untangle or at least voice some of their concerns and you can try and work together to figure it out. Um, if they're not comfortable with sex stuff, then, you know, that's another thing that you should have a conversation about. Um, but I think I think probably the safest bet is to just give them some time um, if they're not secure in talking to you about like what's going on in their brain then maybe you know take a step back and just be like hey whatever it is you're doing it's cool and I really dig you and you're a beautiful flower and however you bloom I'm going to uh, enjoy (laughs) you you. I don't know (laughs) oh my god that is extremely charming um (laughs) you are (laughs) Thank you. Oh, my gosh. Did you just um, fall in love with me a little bit, everybody? I, I hope so. I I had a moment. Let's, let's <laughs> just leave it at that. Um, I, I think one thing that I think we can speak to is there's a sort of implicit concern here on the letter writer's part, which is that, like, because I've never experienced anything that I would consider gender dysphoria, you know, do I have – should I talk to my partner about this? Would it be invasive? Would mm-hmm. it be, you know – would I be causing some sort of harm? Is this like a violation of um, etiquette? Is it intrusive? Whatever. Um, and based on what you are describing here and the thing that you're considering saying, um, no, not at all. You have every like um, right as this person's partner to ask them a question um, and to to talk to them about something that you think you've observed. You know, you're not saying like, I'm drawing this conclusion. I've decided that they're you know, the following or need to do the following things. You've just noticed a pattern and you're curious um, if your partner is giving themselves permission to, you know, deeply question things. So um, I think to say something along the lines of, um, hey, I hope bringing this up does not make you anxious. I, I, I don't want that at all. I've just noticed something lately from you, which is that you have mentioned occasionally um, having feelings about your um, body um, and the way that you, you know, exist, the way that you experience intimacy in your body um, that seemed to me like you may be having some more thoughts about your gender lately. Um, does that feel accurate? Do you feel that way? Um, if so, how have you been thinking about it? What's, has anything been on your mind? Do you want to talk? Um, that's really open-ended. Um, that's just, you know, th- th- your partner has already initiated this by saying these things. You're not, like, breaking into their journal or anything or saying, hey, I- I've just, like, made the following guesses based on what I think you might think. Um, that's, that's you know, a, a gentle, appropriate, reality-based reflection to offer your partner. And if your partner says, yeah, I have been thinking about it a little bit and I'm not really sure, um, you know, you can encourage them to like, well, if you ever want to talk about it with me, I'm available. Um, if you ever want to like talk to other people who have also questioned their gender or contemplated uh, transition, you know, I hope you know that you would have all my love and support in doing so. Um, just so you know, it's totally something we can talk about and I'll let you take the lead on it. Um, I won't like pressure you to offer follow-up stuff, but I'm always available. And, you know, and if the answer is like, no, that's not how I experience this or interesting theory. I don't really want to talk about this again. Then, you know, you can take them at their word and respect that. Um, but yes, absolutely. Um, it's okay to mention something that your partner has already mentioned. You're not drawing attention to anything that they have said is off limits. And, you know, either they'll say, yeah, and I want to talk about it or no, I'm not ready to. And either way, you'll be it sounds like you will be great and supportive no matter what's going on. Yeah, I want to add one thing um, 
because I kind of relate to the person who like I relate to your partner a little bit because for many, many, many years, I was questioning like my own queerness. And it was just like blips of like, like, like a little light bulb would go off in my head and I'd be like, oh, no, whatever. That's just a weird thing here and there. And then um, it finally got to a point where I was like telling myself in a very, very deep part of my brain, no, I'm I'm queer, like very, very deep back there, you know. And it was like this little secret that I kept just to myself. And it took a long time just to get to that point. And then it took even longer to get to a point where I sort of disclosed this to like one or two people, you know, and then even longer than that to actually finally come out. Um, Mm -hmm. But there's definitely a point on that journey where I had to make a decision to say something to someone else. And for a while, I might make like comments here or there and people would be like, oh, are you are you queer? And I'd be like, no, no, it was just, (laughs) you know, it was just a joke. (laughs) And um, like it it took a while to kind of work up the courage to get to that point. And um, sometimes it helps uh, to just kind of have that space to do this on your own. Uh, sometimes it helps to have someone there and be like, I'm ready whenever you are. Um, so if you're getting the sense that your partner doesn't want to talk about it, know that there's probably going to like there's going to come a time where they might be able to work up the courage to bring it up. You know, you might be mm-hmm. having some pasta and they'll be like, so I think uh, I think I want to transition. And then you just got to be like, cool. Congrats. How can I help? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, yeah. But, you know, you can always, if you want to, like, be a little bit more proactive, you can look up literature, I guess. Um, look at things about, like, you know, stories from people who were questioning, who eventually came out. Um, anything that you think they might find interesting. But definitely don't just be like, here's all these books. You are trans. <laughs> like, Yeah, don't get like ahead that. of your partner. No. But, you know, just make it clear that, like, you're there and you're you're ready to to be there for them. Because, like I said, they're beautiful, beautiful flower. Yeah. And good luck. I think that whatever um, your partner is or isn't contemplating, uh, it sounds like you are going to be super supportive and helpful to them. And that is fantastic. Heck, yeah. All right. I think it's my turn to read the next letter. Yes. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and do it, even if it's not. Subject is alone in a crowd. Dear Prudence, I moved to City Y two months ago for a new job. Before that, I'd lived in City X for 10 years. In City X, I had a close-knit group of friends of about eight people. We all worked for the same company and remained close friends even after moving on to other jobs. Here in City Y, I'm feeling lonely. I've successfully made several one-off friendships from the gym, work, and my place of worship. I've reached out to some college acquaintances and tried dating a little. But I miss that group feeling of always knowing who I could invite to a birthday dinner or who I could spend a holiday weekend with. None of my friends here know each other, and I feel isolated and adrift. Is this just a normal part of moving slash growing up that I need to get over? Or is there something else I can do to find a more cohesive friend group? I have a fairly uh, possibly obvious um, partial solution to your quandary, uh, which is... um, throw a party and invite all of your friends to meet one another. Yeah. That doesn't necessarily mean that everyone is going to instantly gel into like this remarkable group, but um, introduce, uh, you know, your gym slash work slash place of worship slash college acquaintance friends Um, have a like casual dinner party um, or invite a couple people out to a movie and introduce them to each other um, and see what happens. Yeah, the way I read this is like cuz I I moved I've moved around a lot. And um something I learned is what I call it it's like the two year rule. It's like the first year you're just kind of getting your bearings, figuring out where you are, how to get to things and not get lost every time you try to go to the grocery store for example. Um and then the second year is figuring out if you actually like the place. And that sounds like a really long time. But two months is is nothing, you know. Um, it's very normal to feel isolated when you've just taken this huge leap all by yourself, and you're like, "Oh God, I need friendship. I need contact." Because you know we're we're social beings. We need those connections. Um, and I think it's just I 
if if you don't want to throw a party, uh, which I would understand, um, I would use this time to kind of take an opportunity to just like be with yourself and get to know the place that you live. Um, because when I first moved to New York uh, in 2016, I didn't know anybody, um, but I found a bar near my apartment and I would sometimes hang out there and I made like I befriended some neighbors and I got a job and I became friends with people at work. And it just happens. It doesn't happen immediately. Like you're not immediately going to be um, the cast of friends, you know, and um, if you set up that expectation of like immediately fitting in, then you're going to feel lonely. Uh, but if you just accept that you're here to experience yourself in this place, um, I think you might be able to find a little bit of peace when you're alone, as well as a lot of joy when you're hanging out with people. You know, I like never hang out with anybody and I am thrilled to be doing this. And, and, right. and you're, Daniel and I are not even different. in the same room and I'm excited. Yes. And yeah. And if, you know, if a party is not something that you want to throw, um, invite everybody out to dinner, invite everybody out to the movies, introduce your friends to each other, um, because that's how they'll get to know each other. Definitely. And maybe one day you will meet one person who is the key to unlocking a wonderful group. That is one of the great things about meeting a lot of new people is eventually you will meet someone who you like and whose friends you like. And then you can just, you know, squeeze in there and make yourself at home. Exactly. All right. So All right. this next this next letter is we've got a lot of moving. A lot of people are moving in today's uh, podcast. Yeah. Um, but go ahead and read this one. It's a it's a doozy. All right. Um, the subject is too depressed to move for a good, well paying job? Question mark. Dear Prudence, I graduate from a grad school next week amid a competitive job market. I've been offered a job in my field. Good starting pay, good health insurance that starts immediately, low cost of living, and it's a position about one degree or two up from the rest of the jobs I could get in my field. It's in Baton Rouge, and it's technically a remote position. I'll be the only one, I'll be the only on-site person there, while all of my coworkers are elsewhere. It's a really great opportunity, but I'm really worried about taking it. I was diagnosed on Friday with severe, oh my goodness. I was diagnosed on Friday with severe depression and put on antidepressants immediately after disclosing suicidal thoughts. I will be thousands away from people I know and love. I know absolutely no one in the South, and it's a five-hour flight home. I'm not great at making new friends, and there will be little opportunity to make friends at work. Complicating this further, I turned 26 this week, so my health insurance will run out at the end of the month. If I take the job, I have health insurance and access to mental health care— but could have my depression exacerbated by moving so far. If I stay where I am now, I don't know when I'll get a job and have to pay out of pocket, and it will pay less and cost more to live here. I genuinely don't know what to do. I want to just open by saying I don't have, like, one thing that I'm really, really, really leaning towards. I think that there are pros and cons to both, um, and that ultimately the letter writer will have to weigh um, what feels the most important to them. But this is this is a legitimately tricky one. I mean, um, if you're in a position where you have, as recently as Friday, um, been diagnosed with severe depression and put on antidepressants immediately after disclosing suicidal thoughts, um, moving to where you have no support system nearby, um, that's risky. Um, and I, I don't want to make it sound like you're not allowed to move um, or that um, you have to put things on hold um, until you feel a certain level of better. But um, I, I am glad that you're taking that seriously because that's, you know, you deserve and need a lot of support right now. Um, and I want you to have that. But then on the other hand, if you stay where you are now, um, you don't have a guaranteed job um, and you'll have to start paying for your own health insurance um, and you may run out of money, which will not help your depression at all. So I just feel bad. (laughs) Uh, And this is why everyone should just get health insurance by dint of being alive. Yeah. 
Medicare for all. For all. That's, Why? Man, I mean, you just see a situation like this and you see, like, here's a person who is in the middle of, like, a, you know, a suicidal crisis and being forced to consider um, two really difficult choices, one of which is, well, I could move to where I don't know anyone and just trust that my depression is going to keep getting better uh, or stay here and have no money. Um, and that's just like an that's a decision that people should not have to face. Definitely. So a uh, writer person contacting us, it sounds like you are one tough mutter. No, Talia. No, this joke is no, no, I forbid it. I'm putting my foot down. I never do this, but this pun is unconscionable, and I say no to you. Oh, okay. Well, um, the reason, listeners, that Talia was trying to sneak that one past me uh, is because I don't know if you can hear this, but there is apparently uh, an extreme fitness group working out in the building that Talia is recording in, and they call themselves Tough Mutter, and they are currently jumping rope uh, in what sounds like combat boots. Yeah, um, but that has sorry. nothing to do with our letter writers' um, serious situation. It's just one of those moments uh, that sort of highlights uh, the sort of absurd uh, juxtapositions that life can send our way, um, and that's really something else. Yeah, now I so, feel guilty for not letting you make your joke, and so it's I'm going to let you talk now. Okay, thank you so much. Um, I feel like with this the. The one thing I want to do is give you, like, tangible advice, and it's to contact the place that gave you the job offer and be like, hey, I need, like, a couple of months because I have some personal stuff I need to sort out. I just – I'm about to finish grad school and moving to a completely different location. I need some time. And if they can't give you, like, three months at least, then, you know, that's – that's a job that you don't want anyway um, because they're asking a lot of you regardless of your mental health. They're telling you to completely uproot your life right after graduating and, you know, leaving school on its own is a very big life change. Starting medication is a very big life change. To do this as well is, is way too much. And I would say just at the very least be like, hey, I need some things like I need to to wrap some things up um, here before I can accept this job. Would you be willing to wait uh, a couple of months? And by that time, um, you know, you can look into um, clinics uh, in your area. You can talk to the the doctor or the psychiatrist who has prescribed you antidepressants, tell them the situation about your insurance, see if they might be able to give you, you know, two or three months worth of medication. Um, You know, so that way then if uh, you end up losing your insurance, then that's it. Um, Although I'm not, I'm not clear if like your insurance ends the day you turn 26 or if it's that year, but in any case, you should be able to look online, see if you can sign up for um, some sort of low-cost insurance um, through your state. Um, you can get prescriptions from clinics and things like that, and it's not going to be easy regardless of what you choose. Um, but at the very least, reaching out to your employer to say that you need a little bit of time um, will give you a chance to work on things. And if it turns out that you are definitely not in the space where you can move to a different place and everything's just too new and too intense, then you have that time where you can come to that conclusion and walk away from it. Yeah. And I think it it will be helpful um, to think through whether or not, you know, it's, you have the job offer. Um, and if you accept, you can... Um, you know, ask for reasonable accommodations, um, you know, under the ADA, um, which may be more useful than simply saying, I'd like to start the job three months after the initial start date, Mm -hmm. which a lot of companies will just not say yes to. Um, So I want to put you in, again, not that you should have to disclose if you don't feel comfortable, but you do have protections given that this is a medical issue and you are receiving treatment for it. 
Um, so you do have the right to ask for reasonable accommodation. Um, and what that could potentially look like is a delayed start date, um, the possibility of working remotely yourself for the first couple of months um, as you just adjust to your new medication and see how it's working and stay close to your support network. Um, if, you know, if everybody else works remotely um, and you've been offered the job and you just need a couple of months to, you know, get out from the immediate thicket of this current mental health crisis that you've been having, um, then that may be something that you will be able to work out with your future employer. And again, you know, familiarize yourself um, or, or ask someone to help you familiarize yourself. That feels kind of overwhelming right now um, with, you know, what you can ask for um, under the ADA, what reasonable accommodations they may be required to offer you um, and what protections you have um, in place. And that may prove helpful if you don't have to move, you know, within a few weeks of this experience, but if you can um, possibly start working remotely sooner um, and then put off the move until a little bit later when you're in a better position um, and you can ask maybe friends you have, do you know anyone in Baton Rouge that you can kind of, you know, uh, introduce me to make sure that you can find a counselor out there, a doctor, medical health pro professionals, what have you, so that you're not just flying out there with absolutely no idea of what's going to meet you on the other end. Yeah, your advice was way better than mine on that one, I have to say. Ignore well, everything I, I, I just, said and just go with that. <laughs> I just would not want to put the writer in a position where they could ask for it in a way that the company would be legally obligated to consider um, mm -hmm. versus just saying, can I have this thing that is, you know, unusual. Um, it's an unusual request if there's not a, um, a medically necessary reason behind it. Usually it's one thing to say, I'd like another week or two to wrap up my affairs here. But most companies, unless you're at a pretty high level, don't have three months worth of flexibility for a start date um, unless, you know, it's a it's an ADA thing. So um, and, and ask for a lot of help, you know, like if, if the idea of having that conversation feels really overwhelming, you are at least right now still close to um, uh, the people in your life who support you. So do not feel shy about saying, like, I need some help figuring out my rights and what I can ask for and, and ask people to support you in this because you are just days out from a really, really bad time. Um, and I want you to have all the help that you need. And, and yes, as you said, Talia, I think if ultimately you think. I feel too shaky. This is too risky. Um, I may be compromising my well-being if I make this move. At least where you are right now, you have friends and resources that you could hopefully potentially like move in with or, or um, you know, share expenses with um, in, in order to, to stay well. And I want that for you very much. Absolutely. Like the most important thing when you're going through a mental health crisis is not having a good job. It's about having like social resources and people, you know, that you can lean on who are there for you. So I think, you know, prioritize your health first. And if you got a job that's better than most out there, like right out the gate, I think you're in pretty good shape. If this one happens to pass you by, there's a good chance that there will be another one uh, when you're ready for it. Yeah. Yeah. And good luck. Keep us posted. This next letter is, I saw this and I was just like, oh man, this just, this sounds like a very intense uh, situation. The subject line is, my brother's wife bullied me in high school and she's incredibly sorry. Dear Prudence, I'm 32 and I'm struggling to build a relationship with my older brother Luke and his wife Evelyn. When we were teens, Evelyn bullied me mercilessly. Luke knew how cruel she was to me and still began dating her. In college, they both matured and are now kinder, more loving people who feel awful about how they treated me. They've given me several meaningful apologies over the years, but I struggle to feel close to them and to bond with their kids. I know it causes Luke heartbreak that we might never be close again, and I wish I could say that I'm over all of that. But the way Evelyn treated me, and then watching my beloved older brother choose her over me, shaped who I've become as a person. I've been to therapy, but I've never found the right shrink. I'm not sure what to do. Is something wrong with me? I don't like it when people ask me that question because I feel bad that this many like readers are out there thinking they're bad people or that there's something wrong with them. Um, but at least I get to answer, no, nothing is wrong with you, especially in this case. No, nothing is wrong with you. These are totally understandable, complicated feelings. Yeah, I, I kind of wanted to lie down um, thinking about this situation because it's just like, that's a lot. This is, right? you know, you 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 basically experienced like, this sort of like a betrayal of like familial loyalty in your formative years 
And that kind of sticks with you, even if you've gotten older and they've gotten older. And, you know, like everyone, everyone grows with time. So you are a different person now than you were back when you were bullied. And that would be the case whether or not um, your brother's wife had done the bullying. I just I can't I, I can't get my I can't get my head around that, that he was just like, oh, that's hot. I just. Mm. But regardless, um, yeah, you're not. There's nothing wrong with you. That was messed up. And if you can't, like, if, like, if you look at them and every time you just see, like, flashbacks of trauma, that's completely reasonable. That And, you know, and you shouldn't feel forced into um, associating with people that kind of, like, these, these feelings have lingered, you know? Um, if you... If you feel like it would be better to kind of take a step back, that's not illegal, you know? Um, just because he's your brother doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, you have to be super chummy all the time, especially if he's your brother. Like, brothers suck. Um, but definitely, I I just, I really, I really can't get my head around this guy. I, I but any, like, okay. <sighs> I would say, I would say, talk to your brother and make it clear that the trauma that you experienced supersedes their growth and their change as people. Because what you experienced happened on a much deeper level than just what can be erased through the passage of time and and having nieces or nephews you know i would say like make it clear like i'm not ready to be cool with you guys and i don't know if i ever will be and it it might hurt not being able to to have that but at least you're like being honest and they can know and it's not it's not going to be like some some great like greek tragedy if it turns out that maybe you and your brother, like, the best you'll ever be able to be is just, like, acquaintances, you know? Yeah, and it seemed like part of what feels really hard for this letter writer is this sense of, like, and it's not even like they're minimizing it now or that they're still assholes. Like, part of what's really painful for this letter writer is the person who bullied me in some ways— no longer exists. And in other ways, it's this lady who's married to my brother. So there's that sense of, I can't just forget that. And yet I also feel pain because I know she's a different kind of person now. And the sort of implicit um, belief there is, if I were to stay mad or hurt or unable to be close with her, and she was a good person now, that would be cruel of me. I would be causing my brother heartbreak. Um, and so I shouldn't feel this way. So that's where there's that question of, like, is something wrong with me? And this is just one of those hard truths of life is, like, a person can grow and change and truly meaningfully regret the harm they caused others, even intentionally, even repeatedly. And that does not make everything okay. That's a good outcome. It's it's better than the alternative. It's good for her and your brother that they experience regret and remorse and that they live their lives differently now. and. At the same time, that does not erase the past, and that does not mean that they um, can expect not just forgiveness from you, but total freedom, openness, friendliness, safety, vulnerability. Um, so I, I would just say release yourself from the expectation of thinking that it is your job um, to be really, really close with them just because they're different now and they're genuinely sorry. Um, that doesn't make you like a grudge holder. That doesn't make you petty. Um, that doesn't mean you're holding on to the past in a damaging way and it's going to keep you from ever experiencing joy in life. Um, it is possible to say to someone, I appreciate your apology. It's meaningful to me. I thank you for it. I accept it. Um, I'm really, really grateful that you're a different kind of person today and that's all wonderful. And, um, this is a this is part of what shaped me. This is part of what made me the person that I am today. Um, and that forgiveness does not mean that I have forgotten it um, or that I 
am able to be really, really close with you. And that's okay. That's that's frankly a good outcome in the sense that it means you're paying as much time, attention, respect to your own feelings as you are to theirs. Um, apologies are great and helpful and meaningful, and they don't wipe the slate clean. And they could be really great people every day for the rest of their lives. Um, and that wouldn't change what they did. Again, that doesn't mean that they have to go around wearing hair shirts, but uh, this is just this is just reality that you might be glad that they're different, grateful that they apologized, um, able to let some of those uh, hurt feelings go, and yet not able to embrace them as uh, you know very very close siblings. And that is an acceptable outcome. If that means that you are um, friendly but a little bit distant with your nieces and nephews, if that means that you see them once or twice a year and you have a pleasant but not you know deep conversation that's okay that's not being harsh or unkind or cruel yeah absolutely i feel like um i have like a a kind of similar sort of situation with my mom mm. and you know she never got to the point where she was like she became a better person and apologized profusely she's still awful but um, it took me a while to kind of just get to a point where I realized I am not going to recover um, this relationship in a way that will develop into something more meaningful. And I just accepted it. And mm -hmm. it takes a long time to just accept it. Um, but it starts by at least acknowledging that there is like a significant trauma here that is at a base level that influences influenced who you are today versus um you know someone making a, a a a mean remark to you once and you remember the remark but it can move on from that like this is this is something that you said it shaped you it is in your core of who you are and i would say try to move past like for your own personal well-being try to move past the negative things like the like you know don't don't try and make excuses like oh i'm i act like this because i was traumatized or something like that but definitely acknowledge that you were affected by something and who you are now is a result of that and by extension just you know try to I guess try to find peace with yourself um, and don't worry about creating that with these people because it has like that that bridge that bridge was uh, like broken when when he decided to date her despite the fact that he knew he was bullying or she was bullying you um, right and that's you can't really repair that and if you can it's going to be a long time. Yep. A long time. Yes. So I would say, you know, you say you're struggling to build a relationship with your brother and his wife. I, I would say stop stop trying. Um, that doesn't mean, you know, cross the street if you see them or ignore them at Christmas. But if what you're trying to do right now is like reestablish a form of emotional intimacy that's causing you a lot of pain, um, you know, be honest with your brother and just say, look, I'm just not able to do that. I care for you guys. Um, I'm not. I, I I don't wish you ill, but I'm I'm not able to build that relationship with you. Um, and if that's painful for him, you know, he can go to his wife for support. He can talk to his friends. He can go to a therapist. He can find other meaningful ways to make a living amends in ways that don't directly involve you. Um, and and he can you know live with that. And that's that is okay. Um, but don't put yourself in the position of bringing up the real pain you experienced at a very formative time in your life by trying to force yourself to become close with them. Um, don't ask that of yourself. Um, let it be what it is. Like live, live in what's real. And what's real is you don't feel safe and comfortable and okay being close with them. Um, and so keep keep a little distance. Keep some boundaries up. You can lovingly say, I cannot be super close with you. That's not a cruel act. Um, so no, something is not wrong with you. You've just, you're just 
responding to reality. Um, and I hope eventually you're able to find a, a therapist who is helpful. Uh, it doesn't sound like you're in the sort of like deep, deep crisis where it's like absolutely crucial that you see one tomorrow. But I, I do hope that you are eventually able to find someone that you can regularly kind of work through some of this with who you trust. I think that that would help you. Not in the interest of eventually making you close with Evelyn and Luke, but um, just in the interest of taking good care of yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, Talia, uh, I am sorry for unconsciously um, bringing up a lot of like difficult <laughs> things that you have been through. But thank you for providing such like useful and compassionate and thoughtful and funny um, perspectives on all of these things. And I hope that only good things happen to you ever again for the rest of your life. Oh, my gosh. I was about to say the same thing to you. So now I have nothing to say. I hope you win a smoothie award and that then people start bringing you smoothies and then it's just all uphill from there. I never want to see a smoothie again, honestly. Fair enough. Then no <laughs> smoothies ever, ever, ever. But I'll take an um, award. I'll take an yes. award. Like, yes. I'll, I'll see what I can do. Um, thank okay. you so much. Have a fabulous rest of the day. I hope everybody who is tough muttering in the room next to you is getting whatever they want or need out of that experience. Yeah. Uh, I think they're dead. So <laughs> Great. So it works out. All right. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Before we go, I just want to talk about something that brought me a great deal of joy this week, which was the experience of getting to watch the film Ocean's 8. Not uh, so much Ocean's 8 qua Ocean's 8 um, as the realization that it sparked in me afterwards, which is that um, one of uh, my favorite comedians, John Mulaney, is a wonderful comedian. But a number of years ago did a fairly stupid bit about how you could never have a female heist movie because women would always break off to talk shit about one another. And I just had this realization that, you know, I bet since the first Ocean's 8 trailer came out earlier this year, somebody has sent it to him at least once a day. And I'm sure at first it was like friends and then eventually it just like became something that anyone who had ever seen his stand-up specials was like, hey, I wonder if anyone's shown this to John Mulaney before. Um, and I just hope it happens a lot. And he has to be like, yeah, yeah, I had, they, they made one and it worked. I uh, really, really, um, really missed the mark on that one. Um, and I, I, I do love him. I enjoy his comedy very, very much. I think he's a very funny man. Um, but it just brings me a lot of joy to think that's probably going to happen on and off every day for years. Um, and I think that that's wonderful. So that's my movie review for the week. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Max Jacobs. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash dearprudence to subscribe. And remember, you can always hear more Prudence by joining Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash prudipod to sign up. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. And you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location. And at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short. 30 seconds. A minute tops. Thanks for listening. calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.